You're listening to another episode of The Zag, another one here in 2018. Excited to have Lucerito Ortiz is here, 2016 fellow, also on the board. She's also our favorite person who knows about Excel and formulas and things I don't understand. So glad she's on. Maybe she'll teach us some things. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. All right, Ms. Ortiz. First thing I want to ask you, when when did your, your love of dogs and your obsession with dogs start? How old were you? <laughs> well, I've loved dogs for as long as I can remember, but sometime <laughs> in the last several years, I think maybe with the uh, increase of social media presence of the canines has <laughs> enabled <laughs> this interest of mine. The obsession to grow. Yeah, but it's it's gotten to the point where if we are we if we are speaking and I see a dog, I will stop listening and be very oh. distracted. Um, Great. Order. Well Chroma my dog is hidden away so we can concentrate fully on this. And how many dogs are running around your your place in the valley? Uh, we have two family dogs. Uh, we adopted them about two years ago. They're both uh, pit mixes. Very cute. And if anyone wanted to, I don't know, check in on their life on Instagram, how how would one do that potentially? Well, they do have uh, their own Instagram account, Frito and Misty. <laughs> and then your brother has two cute dogs that show up as well on Instagram. What's the story with those two? Yeah, so that is pebbles.n.bambam. <laughs> uh, Pebbles is a nine-year-old Yorkie. Bam Bam is a more recent adoptee. He's eight. Uh, so Pebbles is now an older sister. She's adjusting somewhat poorly, but uh, managing. <laughs> They're both very, very Making cute. Yes. And then as someone who is younger than I am and is hipper than I am, what, uh, just in general now, what's your, what's your take on social media and where social media is going? In life? Uh <laughs> Well, I just and life. Do you think it's going to be Snapchat? Do you think eventually it fades away? Instagram is going. Yeah. Something new will pop up. Like, what do you think will happen? Well, next? I just recently watched two more episodes of Black Mirror, so uh, mm. <laughs> we've got some disturbing so thoughts going. going on. No, I mean, I think you know, as with any emerging, evolving technology or tool, the range of uses can be very, very wide and can be both positive and negative. Um, I can't say I have any specific thoughts on trends as far as uh, what type of, of social social media or platforms we'll see evolve next. Um, that's not really my area of expertise. <laughs> I am definitely a consumer. Uh, love me some Snapchat, some Instagram, some uh, messaging platforms. Um, but personally, I I love having multiple ways of communicating that go beyond just uh, written words. <laughs> I think a lot of creativity of expression has come out of this and a lot of different forms of community of communicating have come out of this. And it's been interesting to witness and experience that having grown up without any of this, um, it, it has been interesting to see it evolve sort of throughout my lifetime. And then you have an interesting perspective on this uh, because you worked in admissions at a university in Cambridge, which we can probably figure out where that is. But <laughs> When you think about all the different applications you saw from teenagers uh, across the country and across the world, uh, like how can social media work against you, work for you? How would you advise or, or coach a high school sophomore who's plotting his or her path to Harvard? Well, I think it, any advice or coaching would go beyond just 
high school sophomores, I think we're seeing the impact of social media across age, um, across ages. Um, I think the the upside of social media, the inter- internet age, et cetera, is that it makes information much more easily accessible. That's also the downside. Um, I think young people today are going through adolescence in a much more public way, in a much more public forum. Um, and of course, they, you know, we can all select what we share personally, but uh, that doesn't stop other people from sharing information or um, from talking about things. And so there, there's a likelihood that a mistake I make is going to be much more public and uh, recorded in a much more permanent fashion than it could have been before the, the internet age or social media or whatnot. And so um, that can have some pretty heavy consequences at times. And we see this happen all the time in the political arena. But as far as young people in admissions, um, I think there are students and families on two ends of a spectrum where they're either really paranoid and they think that, you know, they're, everyone is going to Google every single applicant um, or they're on the other end where they never think of what their uh, internet presence is like. And so I think, you know, there's a happy medium, definitely Google yourself, see what's publicly available, make sure that your information, your profiles are private. If you're sharing things that you would not want an admissions officer to see, um, the, the reality is that with such a high volume of applicants that you see at, you know, a lot of colleges that do um, holistic admissions, there's not, it's not viable for every single ap- applicant, you know, to, to be Googled or anything like that. So that's, that's not what admissions officers are spending their time doing. They're spending their time reading the material submitted, reading materials written by the student, by teachers, letters of recommendation, et cetera. Um, but if, if something is available publicly, you know, that, that doesn't mean it's not going to be considered um, you can't unsee things, right? So <laughs> if, if an admissions officer happens to stumble upon something that was written by the student, you know, you want to make sure that it's not going to leave a, a negative or a bad taste in their mouths. I was thinking about you a little bit during the, the tax uh, cut for the wealthy debate and what was going to be a deductible or what wasn't. There was some talk about university endowments and all these sort of things. Uh, college debt and, and whatnot. Like when you think about, because I know it's important to you that uh, college is incredibly accessible and that and, and folks have an opportunity to go who may be the first in their family to go, things like that. Like how do you see that playing out down the road with the rising cost of universities or what can universities do to mitigate some of those things so that their their student body remains diverse? Well, I think um, at a larger systemic level, I, I don't think that the the college landscape is is sustainable in terms of educating you know full generations of students um, because you know if you look at top tier schools that have these big endowments they usually also have really robust financial aid programs and in fact a lot of these top tier universities no longer even include loans as part of financial aid packages so you know, students who can get into these schools, if they're coming from low income backgrounds, can often get everything paid for and they graduate debt free or nearly debt free. Um, and that's great. Great for them. But that's such a small percentage of the total number of students who are you know, enrolling in in college. Um, when you look at the financial accessibility um, 
of colleges across the board, um, from community college, you know, on up, there are a lot of complications that come with trying to navigate what it means to afford a college education. Um, reading a financial aid package for a lot of students and families, especially if their parents didn't go to college, is very burdensome. It's very confusing. Um, even as someone who worked at a university, who worked in admissions, seeing some of the ways that, that financial aid packages are are broken down and communicated, it's it's very dense and um, and hard to understand. So the the lack of transparency and lack of understanding also leads to um, you know students being indebted in ways that they didn't understand or anticipate, um, and that paired along with you know the the difficulty of finding employment that will pay them enough and and give them benefits so that they can reach some kind of financial security and stability. You know, before having a college degree pretty much guaranteed you uh, a good a good job and you didn't have to worry too much about being able to afford your student debt. But I think that's that's rapidly changing. And um, particularly when we look at the impact of student debt on students who don't complete college. You know, they take on debt and and try to try to get their um, higher education, but you know, whether it's lack of support, whether it's um, extenuating circumstances, family needs, um, they're unable to finish their degree. The the impact that that debt has on their lives as well is 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 um, incredible. And when you break down the the demographic differences in students who are able not just to enroll in college, but then to actually complete a four year degree, you see very stark differences. You know, across races, across um, socioeconomic backgrounds, and that is where I think. Um, we really need to rethink at, at a systemic level how we are supporting students in their higher education financially and um, academically, and then also tying that to employment opportunities. Makes sense. When we come back, I'll ask Lizarito about her impressive ability to learn many new languages, lots of them that don't even have letters. You're listening to The Zag. We'll be right back. All right. So you were telling me, in addition to the English that you know, the Spanish that you know, and then the other weird texting languages that you send me, that you've also learned SQL lately. Is that true? <laughs> or in the process of learning yeah, SQL? Yeah, I'm just um, messing around online, just learning stuff. Uh, that's what the kids are doing, <laughs> learning all the data. Okay, the so, <laughs> so for folks that don't know, what's the brief definition of what SQL is? Um, SQL is basically a, a language that's used to uh, in relational databases. So what that means is basically if I have um, a database full of information with all these tables with information and I want to be able to pull that information in a way that makes sense and that is useful to me, um, that's sort of the way that you talk to it to tell it, to give it instructions to give you the information that you need. And then how many people would you say would benefit from knowing how to do this? Well, All the people, some of the people. <laughs> well, I am. I Is it am, good that you know how to do it, so you can charge people I, to do it? Like what? No. Oh, well, there are many free resources online, which is what I am <laughs> definitely leveraging. No, I mean, I think I'm. I'm very biased in that. I I love um, systems and data and organizing information. Um, in because I think it could just be so useful for so many things, whether it's you're trying to make a, a decision about something or you're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I think there are a lot of ways in which we 
as a general public underutilize a lot of tools that um, are freely accessible to us. So um, one example that you that you mentioned was um, a lot of professionals have access to Microsoft Office Suite, which includes Excel. And um, the way a lot of us use Excel is sort of as like a table. Uh, you know, we have like rows and columns. It's like, oh, here's the information. But very few people um, move beyond that to really dig into the more complex function- functionalities uh, that allow us to sort information, pull information, visualize information in ways that can be really helpful whether it's professionally or personally and organizing ourselves and organizing the information that, that we need to know. Yeah. I don't know if you knew this about Excel, but sometimes you can, you can take two of the cells together and it like, add, it like adds up the numbers for you automatically. Like the sum function. Yeah. That's what I think it is. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that. So for the folks at home too, there's a little tip for you about some functions <laughs> and other things. Pretty impressive. I know. Did you always love numbers and data and that kind of stuff? Or is no, that going to be later? No, in life? no, no. I, I actually had a very strong aversion to said things for most of my life. And I think that really just came from a lack of understanding, um, feeling really intimidated by it. Um, but I think my interest in it came from a very pragmatic standpoint. Um, coming up against problems or situations in which I felt like you know, there's, there's gotta be a better way. Um, <laughs> because I, I just don't have the patience to do things manually when I think there, you know, there has to be a way to automate this or to make this better or faster or easier. Um, and, and that's really motivated a lot of my professional learning that I sort of just like start from a, a problem or pain point that I experience or that I witness and um, go from there to figure out how do we use information? How do we develop systems to streamline this, to make make it easier for us um, to do what we need to do and get where we need to get? Yeah, which I think is why we work so well together because I create scenarios where such systems are needed based on the weird bootleg <laughs> Frankenstein things that I make that then you fix. It works out great. And we'll see recruitment, for example. Hey, last thing. Tell us something about the valley that we don't know, or give us a ringing endorsement for hanging out in the valley. <laughs> uh, we ha- we literally have taco stands on every corner, um, at-, at least in my neighborhood. They've been popping up like crazy, uh, and it's the spot for the tacos, man. Did anything ever come again of Taco House Part 2, or it went away forever? No, um, there was this house, just like, Someone, someone's house and they his sold house, tacos and, tacos. and they were the best tacos that in the valley I think um, then they moved to an apartment so we called it taco apartment and you would eat the tacos in there you would go into their living room and that's where you had the tacos oh, wow. but they shut down sadly uh, and I have not seen a re- resurgence of uh, said taco stances okay but this apparently walking around your street you'll find something some, something good to eat plenty of, of uh, plenty yes. Plenty of food. Well, listen, thanks for being on. You'll also find plenty of entertainment, food, drinks, merriment, fellows at Heroes at Villains on January 19th. Our tickets are on sale now. You can celebrate four alums who are being honored as well as meet all our NLC Institute fellows and all our engaged fellows who had their first weekend that we just wrapped. Awesome folks. You definitely don't want to miss it. January 19th, 6 to 8, Villains Tavern. Check it out at la.newleaderscouncil.org. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Zag. We'll talk to you soon. 